1: Welcome to the New Books Network. Did the ideas of Deuteronomy influence the prophecies of Ezekiel? Jason Guile says yes. His recent monograph argues that Deuteronomy's ideas influenced Ezekiel's response to the crisis surrounding the fall of Jerusalem and the Babylonian exile in significant ways, shaping how he saw Israel's past history of rebellion against Yahweh, present situation of divine judgment, and future hope of Restoration. Tune in as we speak with Jason Guile about his recent book, Ezekiel and the World of Deuteronomy. You're listening to New Books and Biblical Studies, a channel of the New Books Network, and I'm your host, Michael Morales. Jason Guile serves as Dean of Program Development and Innovation, as well as Affiliate Professor of Old Testament at Northern Seminary in Illinois. Jason, welcome to New Books and Biblical Studies.
0: Pleasure to be with you. Thanks, Michael.
1: So, Jason, tell us more about yourself and how you came to be interested in the book of Ezekiel.
0: Sure, yeah. Well, I started studying the Bible in a university context at the University of Wisconsin. So my early teachers were people like Michael Fox and Cynthia Miller, uh, among others. And, And actually, my first Hebrew teacher was Michael Lyons, who actually was working on Ezekiel at the time at the University of Wisconsin. So he had gone uh, before me, so to speak, and written a book on Ezekiel's use of Leviticus or the Holiness Code. And so and I, I didn't think much about that topic at the time, but it is kind of funny now in retrospect that he was actually my first Hebrew teacher because now I've gone on to do work in a, a somewhat related area, which is the, our topic for today. And so, um, so yeah, studied Hebrew there in university context. Uh, did my master's, uh, bachelor's, and master's degree in Hebrew Bible and Jewish studies. From there, I went to uh, Wheaton College Graduate School to do my PhD in Old Testament and studied with Dan Block. And so that's really where this work began. Um, so I, I, my topic there for the dissertation was Ezekiel's use of Deuteronomy, or conversely, the flip of that would be Deuteronomy's influence on Ezekiel. And so that's really where um, the book that we're going to be talking about today came out of is that dissertation work. And so that was that topic was uniquely suited both to my background, um, because I went on to do a full year class of the Hebrew text of Ezekiel with Michael Fox in my master's program. So I went into, a, into my PhD study with a A pretty significant background in Ezekiel and the Hebrew text thereof. Um, And then when I got to Wheaton, it was a good fit because Daniel Block is one of the uh, foremost Ezekiel scholars, and he also had interest in Deuteronomy too, so it seemed like a pretty natural topic to study Ezekiel's use of Deuteronomy.
1: Your book is called Ezekiel in the World of Deuteronomy. Let's begin more broadly. Would you give our listeners a basic orientation to Ezekiel's content and historical
0: context? Well, Ezekiel lived at one of the most significant moments in Israel's history, which is the Babylonian exile, um, before, during, and after. So I think that that's the reference point historically and theologically to think about Ezekiel. Um, and so he's a prophet uh, in the years leading up to the fall of Jerusalem. It's well known that he was exiled uh, with a group before the fall of Jerusalem. So he's in exile when when Jerusalem falls. And uh, then here's the news of the fall of Jerusalem while he's there, and then of course there's the the post um, judgment moment as well as they're thinking about the future. So that's kind of the reference point that I'd encourage people to think about for this book. Which means then, when you think about Ezekiel's message, um, you can kind of frame it that way that in in the years leading up to Ezekiel, he's announcing um, judgment is coming, and of course with that accusation of Israel's wrongdoing. And um, and then, of course, the the fall of Jerusalem happens in the judgment thereof. And then thereafter, he's looking ahead like other prophets to the future. And um, so some of the existential questions that they're dealing with about both themselves as God's people, as well as uh, Yahweh's place among the gods and, and his supremacy among the nations. Some of those kind of theodicy type questions as well. And thinking about does God have a future? them. So that that I think is a, a helpful framework to think about Ezekiel's message. So when he's calling out Israel for their wrongdoings, um, some of the big categories for that would be uh, idolatry is a big one, and that's one of the topics in my book, um, as well as broadly holiness or cultic-type offenses. Um, and a lot of that is rooted in some of the holiness teaching of Leviticus. And that's part of what I work with as well. Uh, and then there's um, what you might just call social wrongs, social injustice, those, those sorts of things. So, yeah, my, my work actually kind of fits into that context because, because Ezekiel is considered to be a priestly prophet. And what I was looking at is to what extent does Deuteronomy influence him uh, as well?
1: Now then, your work relates specifically to Ezekiel's use of Deuteronomy's content or world ideas. Tell us about that.
0: Um, okay, where to start? So, uh, by by arguing for Ezekiel's use of, of Deuteronomic language and ideas, and therefore Deuteronomy's influence on him, I'm not minimizing at all the priestly or holiness influence on Ezekiel. It, its a, It need not be one or the other. What I'm trying to do is to uh, bring into balance a bit more of those two things or to, to acknowledge or elevate something that's in some cases been um, dismissed. In other words, there's, a lot of, there's been a lot of people who've said, Ezekiel is such a priestly prophet, there's really no Deuteronomic influence at all. So that was really the key question that I was looking at in my work. So I would say that when you read the book, now this, I'm quoting another scholar, Paul Joyce here. He says that the Deuteronomic language is relatively muted. I agree with that. So I think in comparison, uh, there's a lot more uh, what you might call holiness language from Leviticus than there is Deuteronomic. And that's okay. So I'm not trying to to minimize the fact that yes, indeed, Ezekiel very much is a priestly prophet. But I'm also trying to, um, showed the the deuteronomic parts of it as well. So that's really the, the core thesis of the book and I can kind of get into some of the, the arguments for it. Um, maybe one other piece of context is important for this. Scholars widely acknowledge that Ezekiel uses literary sources, both uh, Israelite traditions, uh, also international or you know from other, uh, parts of the ancient Near East as well. And uh, there's a pretty much agreement now that because of Ezekiel's uh, priestly training, that he was a highly educated person, that he was uh, probably also educated as a scribe, and therefore familiar with literary traditions. Um, and that's that's part of the context, is that is that when we come to ask this question about could Ezekiel have been influenced by Deuteronomy, there's reason to believe that that he's, he could be familiar with Deuteronomy like he's familiar with other uh, biblical and, and non biblical traditions. One other thing, by way of preface, which is to say, and maybe this is sort of one of the contributions of my work, now, is, is to think about what it means to quote unquote use literary sources in an oral world. Okay. So I think in the past, some scholars have assumed that if a, a biblical prophet or writer is using or quoting or alluding to uh, a previous text that it might be happening because they have the text in front of them, right? That it's it's a very um, visual process that they've got their scr- you know <laughs> scroll and they've got the scroll of say parts of the Holiness Code in front of them, and it's it's visual. So um, this is I did not, of course. I'm not the one personally to think this through, but I am drawing on some leading people like David Carr and Carol VanderTorn, who have pointed out that literary use in this oral world is more from memory, actually. So, and so that's that's part of one of the unique contributions here is that I'm framing this Ezekiel's use of Deuteronomy or its language or ideas as Really, one that can be done from his knowledge of biblical texts, either from having heard them or having memorized parts of the biblical texts, and not so much as a as a visual process.
1: How about giving us something of a summary of the chapters of your book? Uh,
0: l- l- the chapters cover a variety of topics. The the first major chapter is on idolatry, and I'm arguing there that uh, a couple things. Number one, idolatry for Ezekiel was the key. Uh, major offense for Israel that led to judgment. I mean, that's um, a, a core argument that I'm drawing from others on that. And that secondly, his language for idolatry is almost exclusively Deuteronomic. Now, why would that be? Well, in part, um, Leviticus and the Holiness Code doesn't say a lot about idolatry, it doesn't feature prominently. It's there a couple times. And, and incidentally, in those couple times, he does occasionally use its language. But Deuteron- uh, sorry, idolatry is a much bigger deal for Deut- in Deuteronomy than it is in Leviticus. And what we see then is that m- much of Ezekiel's language and conception of idolatry shows a preference for Deuteronomic language. And he's drawing on a lot of those kinds of things, both vocabulary um, and even conceptually as well. So that's that's really the first major content chapter. Um, the second one is about Ezekiel's use of a particular text. So this is his use of Deuteronomy 32. Now, I, this chapter I published as an article in JBL before um, the whole work came out as a book. So people can find it there as well. But the core idea is that Ezekiel 16 is a prophetic transformation of Deuteronomy 32, the Song of Moses. Now, this is maybe one of the chapters that I'll spend a little bit more time on, so I'll maybe take a few moments here to to get into this one. So Ezekiel 16 is a prophetic indictment against Israel's um, sins broadly, but idolatry in particular. But it's kind of a historical review, right? It goes back over Israel's history. Um, It's metaphorical. So it's a well-known chapter um, that, that describes Israel's uh, religious sins in metaphorical terms, namely as adultery and, um, and, and kind of sexual sins uh, as well. So whereas chapter 20 also is a historical review, that's not per se metaphorical, whereas Ezekiel 16 is very metaphorical. Uh, Deuteronomy 32 is, has similarities. Now, there's differences and similarities, right? So, of course, Deuteronomy 32, if Ezekiel is drawing upon it, is not um, – it doesn't have the, the prostitution or adultery type metaphor in it. And so that's kind of granted in my article last chapter right from the beginning. But nevertheless, the narrative structure and themes are there. And then on top of that – and this is kind of really the core of the argument – it's not just that these are sim- these two chapters or passages are similar at a structural thematic level. That is true, but also at similar points in the story, they even have shared vocabulary or shared rare concepts, which are hard to be coincidental. So that's really the core argument. And maybe again, since I'm spending a little more time on this one, I could give you. Kind of a quick synopsis of what these um, parallel stories are, if you will, with some of the shared vocabulary. So uh, of course, when I give this little synopsis, you'll have to the listeners will have to uh, find this chapter or that article to to see this in detail. Certainly, I can't do justice to the arguments and the counter arguments and those sorts of things that I address, but maybe this will whet their appetite nonetheless. All right, so both chapters, Passages start with Yahweh's discovery of Israel uh, in some sort of um, destitute situation. Okay, language is a little bit different, but I think that um, this is a pretty unique concept, right? Yahweh, dis- that, that, that Yahweh's relationship with Israel starts, metaphorically speaking, with a discovery of her. And then, secondly, when after Yahweh saves Israel, that he cares lavishly for her. Now, here's a couple points where you get at this point in the story some shared language and some shared vocabulary. So, this is where I think the, the argument becomes more persuasive because this is the part that is hard to be coincidental. So, first, in Deuteronomy 32, again, at this very point in the story, um, Yahweh's care of Israel is described as like an eagle spreading its wings. And in Ezekiel, God says, I will spread my garment over you. Now, okay. When you hear that in English, you didn't catch it. Maybe perhaps unless you know Hebrew, but it, the, the Hebrew language is the same. Um, paras to spread and kanaf, which is wing or garment. Okay. So in translation, you might not see the, the one place says wing and the place says garment. But it's the same in Hebrew. And so the the next thing is that God takes care of Israel by giving um, honey and oil. And so those are two more key uh, words there at that point. Uh, The third part of the story is about Israel then because of Yahweh's care prospering. Uh, The fourth is that um, in both stories, Israel forsakes God. And specifically, idolatry is mentioned. Um, And here's another linguistic similarity at this point in the story. In both cases, the idolatry is described as uh, Israel uh, serving or worshipping zarim, which is a pretty unique use of that word um, for idolatry. The next piece is that Israel forgets its origins. So in Deuteronomy, you forgot the God who gave you birth. In Ezekiel, you didn't remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, etc., so that forgetting is, of course, a pretty distinct concept. Um, and then there's three more parts here. Um, the next part is that Israel angers Yahweh, and so the same word, ka'as, is used as well. Um, second to last, that Israel is punished. And then finally, Israel is restored at, at the end of both of these stories. And again, another linguistic similarity, um, the verb keper, um to atone. In Deuteronomy, Yahweh atones for his people's land. Uh, In Ezekiel, Yahweh atones for his people's sins. But that word is pretty unique in restoration-type oracles. So that's kind of the big synopsis of these two stories. Again, a lot of similarities. Um, There are differences, too. But if you take a closer look at the argumentation, you'll see how I address some of these things, Um, both maybe some of the counterarguments, as well as whether how likely it would have been that Ezekiel might have known a passage like this. Scholars are pretty much on a consensus that Deuteronomy 32 is an early Hebrew poem, like the Song of the Sea, for example. And so, um, and for that matter, probably well-known in Israel because other biblical writers seem to draw from it as well. So I address some of those kinds of contextual things. Um, and if true, then, it would mean that Ezekiel is taking this chapter, I'm sorry, passage um, from Deuteronomy, although, okay, sorry to get into the weeds here, but um, maybe I don't want to use that language because it could have been known not simply as just part of Deuteronomy, right? I mean, so I want to qualify that, but it's a well-known passage, um, arguably known to uh, Israel's audience, and what Ezekiel is doing then is he's kind of, he's transforming it. Right? This is a prophetic transformation to indict Israel in a new time and maybe even say that the judgment and the story there in the Song of Moses is actually now here in Ezekiel's time being actualized and that that judgment is now coming about in their day. And yet, lastly, maybe still God will be faithful to them and restore them in the future.
1: That's a great chapter on deuteronomy 32 Tell us a little bit now about the other ground you cover in the book.
0: The, the next chapter is about Israel's history primarily looking at chapter 20, which was another historical review uh, in in the book of Ezekiel not um, not metaphorical in quite the same way as Ezekiel 16 is. People have noticed before that Ezekiel uses a lot of Deuteronomic language in chapter 20 and so I kind of assemble some of the work and observations that people have made, as well as uh, make some new ones of my own. And so in some ways, this is kind of the most now comprehensive treatment of that topic. Um, so it's it's use of, of Deuteronomic language, yes. But then there's a couple instances where I make an argument, not just that he's using Deuteronomic language, but might actually be thinking of or referring to a specific passage of Deuteronomy. So I do a little bit of that as well. I address some of the arguments that people think that have said that Ezekiel is using Deuteronomy's language in a polemical kind of way, that he's actually, although he's using it, he's not endorsing it. Um, so I address some of those counter arguments as well. Now could be a good time to just mention one thing, and this is sort of a methodological consideration, but when I see similar language, shared language, if you will, and others, there's always the question of how do you categorize it and and how do you explain? So is it intentional or is it not uh, is the big question. Um, Some scholars have used different words like quotation and allusion to talk about these kinds of things. Let me just say a quick word about how I handle that here. And maybe also this is one of um, the contributions of my work. So I do not get hung up on deciding whether something is a quotation or or an illusion. Uh, I don't think it's actually the most important question. Um, you could get into defining what those two words mean. And I think the key difference is um, how verbatim is the, the shared language. So more verbatim was what would be more on the side of a quotation, but less verbatim or more kind of paraphrastic shared language might be more on the side of illusion. And and I agree with that conception. But the reality is, is that there's not a clear line between those two things. And so there's kind of a spectrum, if you will. And so now I do think broadly, most of what we're seeing in Ezekiel and the whole Hebrew Bible for that matter is illusion, more so than quotation. But I, I don't get hung up on whether every instance of shared language here that I might see between Ezekiel and Deuteronomy or some other prophetic, or, or uh, I guess Leviticus for that matter too. Um, I'm not hung up on what i figuring out or calling it one or the other, right. Is it quotation? To me, they're both literary reference and I'm content to just say that's literary reference. Um, so I, I instead start with more basic categories. Um, and I'll just mention them here quickly. So uh, my basic categories would be number 1, you see shared language, it could be coincidence. So that's number 1. If it's if it's not a distinctive word, if or if and if there's not a lot of uh, kind of shared language and then it's probably not super meaning. So that's the first one, it could be coincidence. The second one is what I call indirect usage which basically just means, uh, for, like, say, for Ezekiel, for example, he's using a word that we think is Deuteronomic, um, but it could just be from what I call common parlance, right? Like, it's out there, it's a, it's with the, among the religious vocabulary of, of Israel's contemporaries, and so he may not be drawing specifically from a text or a passage as such, but But it's indirect usage. But in this case, though, I'm assuming from my work that it is distinctively Deuteronomic. In other words, when when people would be hearing it in the world, they would associate it perhaps with Deuteronomy more so than some other biblical tradition, potentially. So what that means then is that even if it's indirect usage, it could, it's not literary reference, if you will, but it is, it, it could reflect his Uh, Deuteronomy's influence on it, right? The degree to which he uses that kind of language. Okay, number three and number four. Number three, and they're they're similar. Number three is literary borrowing. Number four is literary dependence. So literary borrowing basically means we have reason to believe that Ezekiel may know of a particular text and is borrowing his language from that. The fourth is very similar, but... More specifically, he's not just borrowing it, but he actually wants to refer the reader to it implicitly. That's not a, as Moses said or as Deuteronomy said, it's not that explicit. But there are ways to kind of, through allusion, covertly make the reader or listener think of the text that's being referred to. So if that, if I can, we can kind of maintain that distinction literary borrowing and literary reference. Are similar, both based on a um, Ezekiel's use of a text, but one where he is referring the, the reader and wanting them to think of it, and another one where he's not. So that that's another that's chapter two. Um, people can kind of look at the method work that I do on that, and hopefully, um, it's it's helpful for thinking about Ezekiel's use of Deuteronomy, and for that matter, um, conceptually for others to think about interbiblical illusion. Uh, And reference as well. Okay. uh, Maybe I'll just briefly mention the last two chapters because I think we've covered most of the things here. Um, Again, a lot of the detailed argumentation and some of the examples you'll you'll have to see in the book, and I won't be able to get into them here. Um, I'll just lastly add the last two chapters are about exile and restoration. And more specifically, I key in on the metaphors or, or words of scattering and gathering. So those are kind of two main um, metaphors or vocabulary words for Ezekiel. And what I argue is that um, Ezekiel in both cases is primarily using Deuteronomy's language and concepts and conception of both exile and restoration. Um, and so you can, you'd have to go into the details to see there. He does, in one instance, use a word, uh, one of the, uh, Leviticus's word for exile. But what he's actually doing, I think, is doing some combining. Um, Michael Lyons, who I mentioned before in his use, work on the, the Holiness Code, um, pointed out what he calls some like techniques of literary appropriation. And I see Ezekiel doing similar things as well. And I think what he's doing in the case of exile is he's actually combining some language from Leviticus and Deuteronomy. um, And then and something similar with uh, his view of restoration or or gathering as well, that um, there's consistent ways that he does it and that... um, and they're very formulaic. That's one of the distinguishing features of Ezekiel's language for exile and restoration compared to some other prophets, is that he has kind of a formulaic way of, of talking about it. And, and that helps you kind of pinpoint some the literary appropriation work that he's doing and how he connects it back to um, Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy for that. So those are, those are some of the major chapters. I feel like I've, of course, not gotten into all of the details and, and and haven't attempted to you know make a case, so to speak, for some of the, the core arguments because of time reasons and, and would have to get into all sorts of details that I don't plan to hear. But those are some of the core ideas of the book.
1: Jason, what's on the horizon for you in terms of research and writing? Any further work on Ezekiel or Deuteronomy?
0: Uh, I think the, the simple answer there is maybe. Um, it's not on my immediate horizon, so I've got some other things that I'm working on and planning to work on that are more kind of macro uh, biblical theology sorts of stuff um, that kind of tie together uh, the the whole Hebrew Bible and, for that matter, the whole Christian scriptures as well. And so, yeah, I think I might return to uh, one of these two books in the future, but it's it's not those other things have higher priority for me.
1: Well, Jason, it's been great hearing about your work. All the best on your future endeavors, and thank you for being with us. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me, Michael. Friends, you've been listening to New Books and Biblical Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. Until next time, goodbye.